Uh, will the Lord be with you? Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, we're continuing and actually finishing Proverbs topical studies. Nick mentioned uh, Job start next week. It doesn't actually start next week because all the adult formations Sunday morning are, are on hiatus uh, the first Sunday of Sunday break. I mean of uh, spring break and then Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. So we're taking a three-week three week break and then we'll come back to Job. And we'll finish up with Proverbs today. I say finish up, but of course we really only scratched the surface. And I would I just encourage everybody to, to read through the book of Proverbs. It's providentially arranged in 31 chapters. So at least for 30 days, half September, April, June, and November. Seven months out of 12, you can read one chapter uh, a day. And then on the other months, you'll have to double up a little bit. So today we're going to talk about wealth and poverty, um, everybody's second favorite subject. Um, we're in Kentucky, so here everybody's favorite subject is basketball. Well, there, there is no money in heaven. Uh, It's true that you can't take it with you, but there also isn't any when you get there. Uh, And there's no entry fee to the kingdom of God. As the prophet Isaiah said, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Isaiah also prophesies about the abundance of the great messianic banquet at the end of days. And I assume that the the women's Bible study has gotten to this chapter, Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. And the book of Revelation speaks of the glorious richness of the new Jerusalem, with gates and walls of precious jewels and buildings and streets of pure gold like transparent glass. These descriptions are symbolic, but they're symbolic of something real, even more magnificent than the symbols themselves. The reality behind them is certain. Uh, And then in this reality, uh, there is neither a medium or exchange or the private accumulation of wealth, and neither one of those is necessary. Now, I'm not saying that uh, money or the accumulation of wealth are sinful or even bad. Um, The only economy of the kingdom of God is love and infinite abundance. That's it. There is no economic systems as we know it. Uh, I, I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not a utopian or a Marxist, and, and I'm certainly not a Marxist utopian. 
Until the Lord Jesus Christ returns, money and economic systems like policemen and armies are necessary. There are no policemen or armies in heaven either. Well, unless you consider all the angels, but I think that's actually just a role they play during this epoch. So money is an artifact of the fall. It's an accommodation, as economic systems are. They're necessary. They're not necessarily necessary evils. They're just necessary accommodations. The accumulation of wealth is not sinful. There, I'm definitely not a Marxist. However, it is only necessary because we live in a sinful and fallen world. And it's not how much money we have, but how we get it and what we do with it that counts. The book of Proverbs will point us toward the wise use of wealth and money and point out that one can be poor and righteous or wealthy and wicked, as well as wealthy and wise or poor and foolish. Uh, Before we turn to Proverbs, I want to do some comparative assessment between being wealthy in ancient Israel and being wealthy today. When Proverbs was written, of course, the measure of wealth was land and livestock. So Abraham was a very wealthy man. (coughs) Excuse me. There were tradesmen and artisans. There was an economy. There was trade, particularly during Solomon's time and later. But the basis of Israelite economy was agriculture. Actually, even in this country, until starting in the middle of the uh, 19th century, uh, most of America was rural and agricultural. A middle class was not non-existent, but it was very small. It was very small, again, up until uh, probably beginning during the uh, Industrial Revolution. And the difference between wealthy and everybody else was sharper, wider, and more visible than it necessarily is today. And I'll talk more about that. All this was true even when the Apostle Paul wrote to the young pastor Timothy with instructions and wisdom for leading his congregation. When it came to the wealthy, Paul told Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain to put their hope in, but to put their hope in God. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Now, Paul continues, and, and elsewhere he has more wisdom about our attitude and actions towards wealth, but I want to uh, focus right now on just who's included today in the set of those who are rich in this present world. Uh, Perhaps most of us would not consider ourselves among that set, those who are rich in this present world. I know I don't. Uh, I I do own a house. My wife and I own a house. Okay, well, we have have a lot of equity in a house. Um, We do have retirement and investment accounts, such as they are. But I think of ourselves as as middle, middle class and pretty much average by American standards. I certainly don't consider myself rich. But compared to first century Roman standards, we're doing pretty well, all of us. Um, In the Roman Empire of the first century, about one-third of the population were slaves. Uh, At times it was a little higher, at times it was a little lower. Which meant, of course, that a third of the population owned nothing at all and were subject to oppression and abuse. Of the remaining, 80 to 90 percent 
were rural poor in the Roman Empire. And again, there was a small middle class, there were merchants, there was an economy, but most people, the majority of people, were in fact poor. But apparently some of the wealthy were attracted to the church. Not many, as Paul says elsewhere, but some were, and they need to be uh, advised and counseled in what about what to do with their wealth. Well, what about standards of living today, at least worldwide? According to the World Bank, and who doesn't trust the World Bank, the average individual income is $2,900. According to the Gallup organization, it's only about $1,300 a year, and if every source you look at, it's different. So obviously, it's difficult to come up with completely accurate statistics. But I think it's also obvious that many of us who consider ourselves average by American standards, when you consider it worldwide, and certainly throughout history, uh, a lot more of us are going to fall into that set, those who are rich in this present world, as far as Paul was concerned. And so the reason I started with this brief introduction is as we go through Proverbs that speak to the rich about the wise use of their wealth, I think we need to consider more of us whether we ourselves are in that category. Excuse me. According to Proverbs, wealth given by the Lord is a blessing blessing for diligence, that's hard work, wisdom, and righteousness. Um... In America, it's, it's really only the first. And then there's a few other characteristics that you could add to it that we're going to see later are, are not practices that, that the Lord will approve of. Excessive aggressiveness in business, unethical business practices, even ones that are legal, and other things like that. This is an aspect of the doctrine of recompense that is prominent in the book of Proverbs. And if you remember, I talked about that in the, in the introduction to Proverbs and wisdom. The idea is that each person receives what is due him, whether good or bad, and primarily in this lifetime. So, for example, Proverbs 19 is an if-then statement that offers reward for honoring the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be, overfilled, will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And again, that's a, that's a symbol and a figure. Those are metaphors for being, wealth and having, being wealthy and having abundance. The promise here is not one that can be claimed by merely outward observance. This is not like a tit for tat, quid pro quo. Uh, As Old Testament scholar Dwayne Garrett, whom some of you know, points out, Proverbs is not so much concerning itself with ceremonial religion as it is exhorting the reader to demonstrate gratitude toward and confidence in God rather than wealth. And again, as we know, God doesn't look on the outward person or the outward observance. God looks on the heart. Proverbs 10.4 warns of poetry for those who are allergic to uh, Lazy hands make a man poor, but promises reward for those who work hard, but diligent hands bring wealth. In Proverbs 8.17 and 18, Lady Wisdom, herself the personification, the metaphor for wisdom in the first part of Proverbs, I love those who love me 
and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Now, certainly some of the riches of wisdom are metaphorical. Wisdom is its own reward like virtue. And better than fine gold, as the very next verse says, uh, Proverbs 8, 19 says, wisdom is better than silver and gold. But material prosperity is, in Proverbs, one of the declared rewards of living wisely. All things being equal, those who seek to live wisely will prosper more than those who practice foolishness. Of course, all things aren't always equal. Proverbs focuses on the circumstances where all things are equal. But sometimes they aren't. Neither are they always fair or just. And we'll look at those circumstances in the next section and the last one. Uh, Even Proverbs admits of exceptions to this doctrine of recompense, though. Sometimes uh, the wise are not rewarded in this lifetime, and sometimes the wicked get away with quite a bit. Uh, Asaph in Psalm 73 recognized this and bemoaned it at length about how the wicked prosper. So wealth used wisely honors God, benefits others, and oneself. As we have already seen in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 that I just read, the Lord benefits those who honor him and hold genuine trust and confidence in the Lord rather than in their wealth. Genuine generosity will also be blessed. Proverbs 22, 9, a generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. There is, it's not a specific image that I'm saying is in Proverbs anywhere, but if you, if you read these and other verses are about money and wealth, you get the idea that we're not meant to be receptacles, but conduits. Um, I believe sometimes you get stuff and you get money, and you're just the avenue for it to actually go to somebody else. Um, don't ask me how that works exactly, but sometimes it does. Finally, those who gain and use wealth wisely, generously, in a God-honoring way will gain the blessed benefits of peace of mind and lack of turmoil. I don't know how many TV shows, but there's a lot of them, and probably a lot on cable and streaming that I don't watch, that, that, that are all about rich people with lots of troubles, you know, murder, mayhem, Family dysfunction. It's not that poor people don't have this either, but, you know, if, rich, if being rich made you happy, then there would be just a lot less TV to, you know, to, a lot less material for television. Uh, quoting uh, Dr. Garrett again, Wisdom offers the way to prosperity in a way completely devoid of any cynical manipulation of the world. You're not trying to game the system. You're simply trying to honor God and work hard. However, not only the wise have wealth. And although it's, it's, it is on the, uh, it's in the seams and sidelines of Proverbs, it is there. When we get to Job uh, and Ecclesiastes in the fall, their main focus is 
the exceptions of the rule, which in a sinful fallen world, there are lots of exceptions to the rules. Um, Wealth gain wrongly or unwisely is a curse and leads to ruin. Unlike the wise, the wicked and the foolish are only too happy to gain wealth through dishonest practices, oppression, and or cynical manipulation of the economic system. Unlike the wise, trouble and poverty are promised to those who oppress the poor. He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and he who gives gifts to the rich both come to poverty. Proverbs twenty-two sixteen. The gifts spoken of in that verse are probably bribes given to wealthy friends who can game the system against the poor. It's, it's, I won't actually present any live examples, but to me, the, the amount of corruption in, in politics and in business and, you know, in, in global economy that actually gets reported is staggering. And, of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Rich people bribing other rich people. In Proverbs 22, 22, uh, Proverbs promises, warns those who would, well, it's a promise too, who would manipulate the legal system against the poor will find that God is their opponent and he will crush the oppressors as they would crush the poor. (coughs) Excuse me. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. There's a large segment of your court television, too, right there. That plot. Um, I don't think there's TV in heaven. But, well, it could be. But uh, a lot of the conflicts and turmoil that, that make it into the subject matter of today's uh, television and, and YouTube videos is, is not going to be there. Uh, it'll, it'll be all the Waltons and Bonanza and Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith. Okay. Um, unfair or unethical business practices are also condemned. I'm not a business person. Some of you are. Uh, I, I am sometimes staggered by the kind of sharp practices that are not illegal. Um, I'll mention one in just a second. Unfair or unethical business practices are also condemned, particularly practices that exploit credit and loan issues. Uh, Proverbs 28.8, he who increases his wealth by exorbitant interest amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. Well, that sort of indicts, you know, about half of the finance business in the country, doesn't it? I'm exaggerating. Uh, and, and I'm not an expert on financial matters. I'm, I'm really not. Um, but uh, one example I am aware of that seems particularly egregious is called so-called payday loan establishments, if you're familiar with these. So here you can get fairly accurate statistics. The average annual percentage rate for a payday loan, you know, if you get a credit card and, you know, you got an APR of 14%, you think, oh, man, I need to get another credit company. The average APR for payday loan is 400 to 700%. Uh, so that means if you pay in one week, you borrow $100, you pay next week, you owe $150. Um, 
And it's staggering. This used to be called loan sharking, and if you didn't pay up, a man named Vinny would come and break your legs. Um, and, and I'm aware this practice is legal and regulated, but it hardly seems fair and unethical as it usually targets those who live paycheck to paycheck. It is, I think it is preying on the poor. I think lotteries to a certain extent are too. Yeah. Just to clear things up. Clear things up. It does not, it does not make <laughs> Okay. Well, that's true. And, and I anticipated some of those arguments, but I thought they'd only be in my head. I didn't actually think they'd come up uh, during the lesson. But here's the thing, though. It, it's, I, I understand what you're saying, but honestly, um, I just I, I don't think I could actually ever uh, do a business like that because, yeah, it's true. Uh, people are taking a risk. It's the same thing with uh, oh, what type of mortgage is called that you lend to people who, who are, are high risk. Um, you're, you're putting a lot of interest up front, because you're taking a risk that they won't pay it back. Well, the people who can't pay it back are, I'm, I'm not saying we need to just get, again, I'm not a socialist or a Marxist. This is taking advantage of people who, who have poor credit ratings, and again, who live paycheck to paycheck. It's not illegal. I consider it unethical. If you don't consider it unethical, then fill in the blanks with whatever exorbitant interest yeah, usury is exorbitant interest. I'm not aware of cutting off hands, but I do know during the Middle Ages, Christians weren't allowed to lend other Christians money at interest. So this is where, this is not a conspiracy theory, okay? This is, this is history. Right. Um, this is a fascinating subject. Did we want to talk about this the whole time? I'm just kidding. I just... <laughs> I did a little research on this, and it's just how much money is made basically by skimming. You know, you're skimming people who, who need, uh, I forget who told me the, the best way to get, you, you know, you get credit by proving you don't need it. It's people with high credit ratings that get the best interest rates. Um, and people who don't really need to borrow money for themselves that also are able to borrow money easily. Anyway, I don't want to step on any toes, I really don't, but uh, exorbitant interest is considered one of those unfair or unethical business practices. Well, it's not surprising, Proverbs also warns against dishonesty in matters of wealth. Proverbs 26, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. So the, the Bernie Madoffs and others like that who run pyramid schemes. Proverbs 13.11, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Now, that verse, uh, particularly the second half, has an implied warning against get-rich-quick schemes and easy money. Uh, anytime large sums of money are gained suddenly, winning a lottery, uh, some type of windfall profit, or even an inheritance, um, even when it's not necessarily gained dishonestly, there is a danger of foolishly squandering your wealth. Um, being wise with your money is, is a learned practice. And people who get a whole lot of money 
really quickly might not have that. Um, Proverbs 20, 21 says, an inheritance gained quickly at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. So I think Proverbs is kind of prescient here about our situation. I have read, again, accurate statistics are an issue, but I've read in a lot of different sources that about 70% of big lottery winners and others who suddenly gain windfall wealth go bankrupt within seven years. So uh, don't envy the rich because a lot, well, don't, don't envy, well, don't envy the rich, but don't necessarily envy big lottery winners because a lot of them will go bankrupt. Uh, I have read also that the, the first thing you want to do if you do win a big lottery prize is hire an accountant. Um, that's what I would do anyway. But I, I don't pay the lottery, so unless you buy me a ticket for my birthday like my brother used to do, I can't win the lottery. Um, wealth also has its limits. Proverbs does recognize this. The wise know this and live accordingly. One of the most important things to realize is that wisdom and righteousness are better, more important, and more valuable than wealth. That's the first way it has its limits. Proverbs 28.6, better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Proverbs 15.16, better a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. And not surprisingly, these are called better than Proverbs, and there's a lot of them in Proverbs. Uh, wealth cannot buy happiness. We all know that. Cannot buy happiness or guaranteed safety. And everybody's known it throughout history. I mean, really, you do know it. Like Paul says, Romans chapter 1, you know, everybody has a, a uh, census divinitatis, an awareness that there is a God who is our creator and who we are accountable to. We try to cover it up, but it's still there and we're in denial. I think everybody has known throughout history that money can't buy happiness. Yet, uh, a lot of people think they're going to be the exception. So many people keep thinking that it can aided and abetted, of course, by a social culture which preaches that the best gauge of success is material gain. Even fame is just a secondary uh, success measure. You get famous so you can make a lot of money. As, as the uh, uh, musical artist, if I can use the term, 50 Cent, not 50 Cent, 50 Cent once said he's going to get rich or die trying. Um, John D. Rockefeller Sr., the original uh, Rockefeller in this country, who uh, still in adjusted dollars, the richest man who ever lived, uh, except, you know, I don't know, maybe he wasn't richer than Solomon or Croesus or Midas, but um, in recorded history about wealth. Uh, he wants to uh, uh, control 90% of U.S. oil production through his company Standard Oil, which is now Exxon. Was reportedly once asked, how much money is enough money? His reply, just a little more. So perhaps he was actually offering wisdom. I don't know the context of that, but the quote's been verified. It was not Abraham or Einstein that said that. 
He was a devout Baptist uh, and devoted the last part of his life to giving away all the fortune he had amassed. And he, he is the father of modern philanthropy. Uh, the Rockefeller Foundation is well known. In any case, whether that was in his intention or not, Rockefeller echoed the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 5.10. I'll jump ahead a little and read a proverb from Ecclesiastes. This is why money can't buy happiness. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. I think that's true of even people who just like money. Money is not something that can actually satisfy you at, at any level, no matter who you are and no matter how wealthy you are. Um, even if you just like money, not love it. As we noted above, Proverbs 15, 16 tells us, better a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Proverbs 17.1 echoes this, better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. The house full of feasting is a, a metonymy. Anyway, a figure of speech where part stands in for the whole. A house full of feasting, that would be wealthy people who had the means to do that. And so, again, we all know money, every religion in the world teaches, well, okay, there are some offshoots of some religions like prosperity gospel and money can't buy happiness. Uh, equally, great wealth cannot ensure security. You may have heard the clever little slogan, financial security is an oxymoron. Now, I say that, and then, of course, I think it's important to say it wisely, and even Proverbs will say it is important to to have an inheritance to leave to your children, to earn money by little, little by little and make it grow. But it can't buy genuine security in the sense that it protects you from all the vicissitudes and circumstances of this life or the next. In fact, uh, being very wealthy sometimes uh, seems to attract threats. Proverbs 13, 8 says, A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. Now, this is not a statement on crime. You know, poor people hear threats like everybody else, but it's not related to their wealth. As the verses displayed at the beginning of the lesson declare, wealth is fleeting and unstable. Uh, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Final limitation, uh, at least a final limitation that pops up in Proverbs, is that money cannot save, wealth and money cannot save one from God's judgment. Again, we all know this, but... Um, this will sound a little judgmental, so I won't read any names, but it seems to me that a lot of uh, celebrity charity raising, not all of it, and I'm not saying it's necessarily bad, but a lot of things that wealthy people seem to do with their money and charity seems to be with the idea that somehow they can buy God's favor. I could be wrong about that, but it seems that way. 
Proverbs 11.4 says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. that right? Yes, that's right. Proverbs does, it, it really does make an equation between wealth and wisdom on the one hand and foolish and poverty on the other. It, it is just, again, true in general. Again, there's not a mechanistic way to apply Proverbs as, this, as though it were an engineering manual. You know, you put in these inputs and you are assured absolutely to get these outputs. It is saying that, in general, hard work and honesty will yield wealth, uh, laziness and foolishness will yield poverty. Proverbs 10.4, lazy, lazy hands make a man work, make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Overindulgence, too. Um, this is probably... One of the reasons, again, that those who get easy money quickly uh, soon lose it because they probably overindulge in various things. Proverbs 21, 17, he who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never become rich. Uh, but, but as I've already pointed out, Proverbs already recognizes exceptions to this equation. It's on the seams. It's on the sidelines in Job and Ecclesiastes. It's going to be front and center, the inequality and injustice in the world. But even Proverbs says that justice and oppression can also cause poverty. Proverbs thirteen twenty three: a poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. Poverty is uh, not a condition to be sought under normal circumstances, and I don't think God wants anybody to live in abject poverty. Uh, but being poor and righteous is better than being wealthy and wicked. So if you have to pick one or the other, you don't pick wealth and be wicked. You pick poverty and be righteous. Better a man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Proverbs 28.6. Proverbs 16.19. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Um, finally, as we all know and, and should know, uh, the wealthy and the poor have equal standing before God. And the poor should be accorded Dignity and respect. Proverbs 22.2, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. Um, here endeth the lesson. Now, that actually even only really scratches the surface on wealth uh, in the Bible and in uh, particularly in the book of Proverbs. It, it does talk about the wise use of accumulating wealth, a righteous man uh, leaves an inheritance for his children's children, et cetera, et cetera. So the Bible does not condemn wealth or the accumulation of wealth. Uh, it has a lot to warn against the ways that we do get wealth and ways that it encourages us to, to use the wealth that we accumulate wisely. Um, does does anybody have any questions on that? I have a question. I forgot my watch. What's the time? 
Uh, oh, good. We have 10 minutes left for questions on this. Um, Nick did mention uh, Job starts next week. Job doesn't start next week. I already mentioned that, didn't I? Okay. Uh, if you have any questions on uh, this lesson or any of the others we've had, anybody have any questions about money? Yes. A comment in the uh, uh, section you were talking about wealth has its limits. Um, to me, it occurred to me that it never mentions health and how important that is. Like, you know, the, the phrase, if you have your health, you have everything. <coughs> when you lose that, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Man, you might be in a better hospital while you die. But uh, that's, I mean, is there anything in, in problems? Well, I like that. that. I like that. That image. You'd be in a better <laughs> hospital when you die. Maybe you get a gourmet meal, you know, as your yeah. last meal. But yeah. And and I'm saying I'm really grateful for the quality of healthcare in this city. You know, we live we live in a medical hub, you know. But it's true. Um, money cannot buy you perfection of body or soul. Uh, uh, this is why. Uh, uh, don't get me started, but. I'm not completely against social programs that help people who don't have the means to to buy adequate health care. I mean, I'm I'm really appreciative appreciative of the health care I have, but I mean, eventually everybody gets old, breaks down, and dies. Just I'm sorry if that bums you out, but that's just a fact. Everybody gets old, everybody breaks down, everybody dies, except if we're uh, alive when Jesus comes back. So that is something. Um, Proverbs doesn't really talk about health and money, but it's tr- that's true, I think. Yes, Kevin, you had a question. Well, <coughs> or a comment. I'm at a place in Proverbs that talks about this, but it seems like money itself is... The, the difficulty is it sort of uh, reflects or magnifies what's in our heart, doesn't it? Yeah. What we tru- whether we're rich or poor or moving from one to the other, the issue is what we trust and what we, what we love, what we believe in. Right. Well, it, it, there's, there's no specific verse, but you're right. But uh, last week when we talked about words and speech, it said, you know, out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. But I think our desires and the condition of our heart also will affect what we do about money and wealth. That's, that's for sure. Anybody else? Yes, Anne. Um, so with money and wealth, is that, are those different words? I mean, are they used? They're different words. Money is a medium exchange. Um, I can't so remember. Poverty, I actually tried to research when was money invented. Um, been a while, but um, when Proverbs was written, there there was money. I mean, there there were like little globs of silver and gold that, mm-hmm. but wealth was primarily measured in property and livestock, um, and your ability to you know to have a nice house and servants and stuff like that. So in the original text, is it sometimes it's translated well, sometimes it's translated money. Right. Are those two different words? Um, I'm going to say yes, although I admit I didn't look it up in the Hebrew. Um, and then when the term money is used in a modern translation, the term may not mean, I admit I can't answer your question completely, the term may not mean what we think when we use money like specie, uh, coins, and, and then 
basically promissory notes is what a bill is. Um, they don't necessarily speak of that. But I don't know. I didn't look it up in the Hebrew. Um, so wealth can be measured in other things than, than actual money. In a poetry scenario like Proverbs is, though, it would be fairly common to use use words that aren't identical in one sense. Correct. There's a range of meaning. And so I could easily conceive of it using money and wealth as synonyms in one verse and maybe right. not another. Well, and you can use wealth metaphorically to talk about the wealth of having a good family or having good character, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, Miguel. I was just going to ask about you talking about the wise use of wealth, right? And... Um, it seems to me like there's a lot of injunctions in the Bible to be generous and giving, but it seems like it's hard to find good ways to give in a lot of senses. Like, I mean, the commandments throughout James to, you know, give to the poor or whatever are great until you're in our modern context and they're going to use that for cocaine. <coughs> um, there, so, so Miguel's asking... Excuse me. Uh, does generosity have limits? Well, it has guidelines. Um, again, this will sound rather harsh and cruel, but I, I don't give money to people on the street. Um, I might go buy them a meal. It depends. I've done that in the past. Um, there is one example where Proverbs does warn about, you know, unwise generosity, and that's like being security. Uh, for a loan for a friend. They might not have charged interest, but there was security. I'll lend you this money, but uh, if you can't pay up, I'm going to take your oxen. So uh, doing that for a friend or a neighbor is not considered a wise practice. So one has to be wise about one's generosity. Again, the I don't see the actual metaphor anywhere in <coughs> Proverbs, but I, I again, I think we're more conduits than repositories. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I see commercials that beg for money all the time, and, uh, and I often, and I think I occasionally say to my wife, if I were a rich old curmudgeon with more money than sense, I might give to that uh, charity. One is the ASPCA. I don't know about their politics, but you know, how can you not care about, you know, poor, starving little puppies that are shown on the screen? Um, and, but I've made a decision that there are higher priorities. People do come first, much as I love dogs. Um, I tolerate cats, but <laughs> uh, that's an improvement. I didn't used to. <laughs> cats don't need your money. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have a discernment question about Sure. Miguel's. You know, we uh, we give to the church. Uh, we we belong to a church previously that uh, some of our money could go to a larger organization, i.e., the diocese, where you find you know I don't like where they're spending that money, and then you have to make that decision. Okay, how do I give, you know, generously and um, without expectation? But I'm not comfortable with where that's going. There's a lot of organizations I was giving to another... Well, that's a really good question. The question is, how, how do you... It's the word obligatory donations. No, that's taxes. <laughs> but um, 
I, I'm sure there's nothing you can do about uh, the donation of your taxes to the government being used for things you don't want it to be used for. Um, when it comes to a church, well, that's a really good question. Uh, in general, I admit, I just, I, I put in my percentage or pledge uh, and and I leave it to the Lord. Uh, there are some cases where, you know, you have to vote with your dollars and your feet, but um, there, there are certain charities and certain supposedly Christian organizations that I would not donate to because of some of the things they teach or practice. Any other, yes, discernment. Any other questions? So how does one... That started out with the contradictory proverbs in... Yeah. So did you want me to answer that question or the discern... The, the one... Proverbs are... I, I hate to use the word because of the term that goes with it, but proverbs are situational. So it's not that it teaches situational ethics, um, but... The one is, the key one is where it says, don't answer a fool according to a fool. And the very next verse says, answer a fool according to a fool. Depending on the situation, uh, I admit I go with the first one more. It's just, it's just <laughs> hard to argue with stupid people. I'm sorry. Um, you know, or as they say, it's like, it's like, uh, Singing to a pig. Uh, don't try, you know, teaching a pig to sing. Uh, it'll just frustrate you and it'll only annoy the pig. But isn't that your way of putting the two together? Basically, you can't win with fools. Isn't that holding... True. Back? On the other hand, if a fool's... I would say on that, and I'll get back to your... You'll have to remind me of the last part of the question. Uh how I would navigate that is if uh, what a fool is saying is going to have immediate impact and they need to be corrected immediately, then you, you're going to have to, uh, then I think they need to be corrected. Um, the greatest example of not answering a fool according to a fool is, of course, is on Twitter and comment sections on news feeds. Um, I scroll through those for entertainment sometimes, but, you know, and I mean, it is almost, you know, you could imagine TV plots and movie plots that would go according to this, and it goes back and forth, and it's like, gosh, you know, I'll do it 15 minutes while I'm having coffee and a, and a pastry in the morning, but apparently some people do spend a lot of time going back and forth on this. And the other question was more about... Um, it was discernment. What was the second part of that, right. Rebecca? So Proverbs twenty three four is one that you have listed on the page. Oh right. So no, no when to show restraint. Right. I, I don't. Okay. I'm going to put it this way. Uh, I don't think pursuing money should ever be your first course. Now, if if you are um, trained in a specific area or profession. And you got two jobs that are offered to you, and they're equal in all other respects, except one offers you a lot more money. Well, you know, I think it's okay to take the one that offers you a lot more money. 
Um, you may be a conduit for something. Unless you're doing it for bad reasons. Well, unless you're doing right, yeah. but I'm just saying uh, that's true. So discernment really is a personal thing, and and if you're if you are wise, you will do it. Uh, some people choose professions that are never going to make them rich. Well, rich by American standards. And again, remember, I started this lesson with saying we need to consider what rich even means. Um, most of us in this room right now are quite rich if we consider the whole globe and the whole of human history, where most people in most places throughout all history have lived in hovels or huts and spent uh, most of their days trying to scratch out a living from the soil and sometimes succeeded and sometimes failed. So um, poverty is a real thing, but um, I think we need to understand the relativity. If you can't have a vacation, uh, you know, to the, to the Caribbean every year, you know, maybe you're not poor, okay? There's, I got nothing against Caribbean vacations. I took one once, so. But any other questions? Uh, I think it's probably 11.45, isn't it? Okay, well, thank you very much. And not next week, but in three weeks. We'll look at Job, uh, which is all about the exceptions. Um, uh, that would be a good thing to do. I mean, I am, but we, we can't, we can't co- again, we can't go verse by verse. We'll, we'll go section by section, chapter by chapter. Thank you very much.